This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm your host, Melissa Rao, and this podcast is a conversation on Bishop Rob's Four Faith weekly devotion sent out every Friday. You can find a link to this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe to Four Faith in the episode's description. Friends, you will recall that we did not drop a podcast on the Friday after Memorial Day. And uh, Bishop Rob always does a Four Faith weekly devotion, and he titled this particular one, Jesus But Not Jesus. And when it dropped, there was a lot of conversation and um, response to it on 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 social media. And so we thought we would do a podcast for it because it is kind of fire, Bishop. I have to say, <laughs> I, I, I read this and I'm like, yes. And you know what? I have to say this too. I get delighted when people call out other people. Okay. okay. <laughs> and, and then I have to remember, I'm like, oh crap. Like I might be that person. Yeah. I might be in a Jesus, but not Jesus club. Yeah. And I think we all have the propensity to be in the Jesus, but not Jesus club. And Without I think, a doubt. I think the first thing is I got to own that. I got to own that for myself. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you know, you don't even have to own it. I mean, you can one stop before you get to owning is, is that, um, and I think it's a great sign of spiritual maturity is, is to, is to not immediately respond with defensiveness, but is to say, Hmm, you know, uh, I wonder if that's true for me. Right. Or I wonder, has there been a time that that I have uh, I have uh, sort of walked under the name of Jesus, but my life didn't look like I had real allegiance to the to the guy in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And, and, if, and if we can get there as as, as individuals and, and as groups, I think that's where the good stuff happens, because we can begin to acknowledge that we all fall short. And that it's easier to lay claim, you know, to the rhetoric than it is the lifestyle, right? And I think that that's the first step in real maturity is identifying the gap between what you say and how you live. So, you know, but sadly, I think um, many of us default to defensiveness. Um, And that's why we killed the prophets in the Old Testament. And that's why we killed, you know, John the Baptist. And ultimately, that's why we killed Jesus, is because they end up being irritants to the status quo. Um, and, and, you know, in, in, according to Scripture, this is the way God reaches out to us to save us, which is to save us from the harmful effects of the status quo we build on lies. And so, so that's the gift, that's the grace, but we reject it again and again. So to talk about our, all of us can be seduced into clubs, affiliations, right, cliques, that only are tangential, uh, tangentially Christian, uh, I think is a very real possibility for all of us. Yeah. I know what stuck out the most to me, the first underline that I made, I mean, there's so many, <laughs> but the longest underline of the whole thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> but beyond that, Jesus but not Jesus clubs get faith, faithlessly obsessed with their own survival, relevance, and market share more than faithfulness to Jesus the Christ. And, and I'm wondering, like, I guess I'm not wondering, I'm saying yes. And how often are so many of us even relentlessly obsessed with the survival of our church? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you want to, I guess what I would want to do is nuance immediately. And what I want to say is, is that, 
because um, you know, this is not black and white. There's shades here, right? And so, so it is a it is a faithful thing to care about um, our churches and wanting them to sort of continue and be an offering to our children and our children's children. That's a good thing. Um, it's a good thing to want to commend the tradition that has enlivened your life, that has blessed your spirit. It's a good thing. Um, you know, there's so many good things. And, and like lots of things in life, uh, too much of any one thing is not a good thing, right? There, there are those of us who um, can get really obsessed with the fabric of institutions, right? With the, with the bricks and the mortar and uh, to, the, to, the, um, to the detriment of the overarching purpose of the bricks and the mortar and all the finery. Uh, you know, uh, I, I like to remind people that churches are just glorified Chevron stations or Shell stations or a racetrack, whatever, whatever you're, uh, wherever you get your gas, that's what it's supposed to be, right? And, um, and, and I think that if we're not careful, we can make an idol out of the thing that was supposed to be an icon. You know, an icon points to something bigger than itself and an idol points to itself, right? And so, so we are we are more than a building, right? We are God's people who have the privilege of gathering to be refreshed again about you know with the stories and the sacraments that remind us of who we are. First and foremost, we're the temple. So you know, and 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 when we don't do that, and when we don't have that deep teaching and that deep understanding and that deep learning, then what we do is what our default is: we make a golden calf. And we polish it up real pretty uh, to the exclusion of the purpose mm. of gathering anyway. Mm. So you called out, you called out uh, nationalism, race, class, ageism, all the things. And then you go on to say those elements find synergy with old fashioned good intentions and the social reward phenomena. Yeah. And I kind of feel like I think I know where you're going with that, but I'm wondering if you can unpack that a little bit. What do you mean by that social reward phenomena? Well, social reward phenomena is, is that, uh, you know, for me, it would be, you know, oh, what a good bishop we have. He, he gives us comforting words. He tells us what we want to hear. He makes good jokes. His sermons aren't too edgy. They're comforting. He never really challenges us or brings us up short. Oh, what a lovely bishop we have, right? And that feels good to be like, to be that guy and to feel, you know, to be praised and to have the thousands of friends on, you know, social media and to be invited to all the fancy gatherings to, to, to do your bit of talking you know, that feels really, really good. And I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing, but what I'm saying is, is that um, uh, that can be uh, something that leads to the road, <laughs> you know, good intentions lead you down the road to hell, right? I mean, I, I think that one of the things, you know, here's an old fashioned sort of way to say that you cook a frog slowly, right? You put them in, you know, room temperature water, and then you slowly turn up the heat. And sometimes many of us, you know, who, who exert leadership, lay and ordain, uh, you know, we're cooked frogs, right? Because we've been totally bought and paid for by, um, you know, by this notion of social reward. What we want to do, you know, because ultimately we're all fourth graders, what we ultimately want to do is be the popular guy or gal. And then at some point we want to be that more than we want to be this other thing. And Jesus said we're salt and light, right? He didn't say you're going to be popular. In fact, he goes a great length to tell you you'll be you won't be popular, right? So, so not that I like to be unpopular, but I think you got to keep it on the menu if you want to be faithful, 
Keep it right? real. And, yeah, I mean, you, you got to, and, and I don't want to be. Uh, and you know, I, here's a here's a word and a shout out to some of my brothers and sisters who who are clergy. Uh, you're not the folks' friends, right? That is a misuse of authority. And I hope I get some comments back about that. I see some people who want to hold pastoral authority in a particular way, uh, so they want to be people's friends, right? I think what you are, you have to be reminded, is that you are pastor. That's what you are. People can get lots of friends. You be the pastor. You were ordained to be the pastor. And the pastor, again, goes back and forth between comfort and challenge. And so when I hear, especially young, young clergy people sort of coming at this with this understanding, well, God has called me to be the friend of everybody, I'm worried about that because what, what I think ends up happening is, is that you get seduced into this notion of social reward. Now you're the friendliest person in the whole world. And we all want to be friends. We all should be friendly. But then to what degree does that, does that begin to diminish your ability, right, to offer the challenge part of the gospel? Mm. That that worries me, and then now the social reward thing reward thing has has been uh, has built up so high. Where on Sunday morning, when the gospel has a hard word for all of us, you can't render it because you're the friend. Oh, Bishop! I mean, you just opened up a huge pile of worms for me <laughs> because I hear you and I hear you loud, and and I agree with you, and yet. It's my deepest, greatest, most um, uh, trusted friends who challenge me the most. Yeah, and I, I hope that that happens. I hope that that happens um, in your friendships. Yeah. But as a pastor, I would say to that person, that is not our approach. There you go. Right? Okay. Yeah, our approach is to be in the midst of people, is to be standard bearer, is to be symbol bearer. Yeah, to love people, absolutely. Absolutely, to love them, to love uh, the human condition, to love the conditions they find themselves in, to be a support mechanism. But I'm, I'm, I'm just using this word, and I realize it's loaded. I'm just using this notion of friend because I think that it, it you know, it, um, it gets us to social benefit, right? Uh, it gets us to popularity, and then it begins to diminish our effectiveness. Love it. All right, friends, we'll be back after a short break. Thank you for listening to Four People. To first-time listeners, we encourage you to subscribe. For all updates, you can follow Bishop Wright on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. And now back to Four People. Welcome back to Four People. Bishop, I'm struck by what this means for us. Uh, all of this, uh, Jesus, but not Jesus clubs. And I, I want to look at the bright side, the bright side of things and where the invitation is. And so I'm wondering if you can summarize that a little bit. Sure. I mean, the bright side is easy, right? The bright side is easy is, is that is, is, as much as human beings, as much as you and I um, can totally hijack even the best of God's good works, God doesn't stop inviting us. Right. I mean, there's, there's a phrase in the meditation that says God has an unexpiring. Jesus has an unexpiring invitation. Right. So that's the good news. If you want the good news, there it is. This is that no matter how far we fall, no matter how misguided we are, no matter how we have, um, uh, you know, uh, 
stained this beautiful thing that's given to us. You know, there's Jesus coming again and again and again. I mean, good Lord. I mean, think back to Jesus's resurrection. I mean, I can just imagine, you know, Pilate and Herod and those guys saying, will this guy just not stop? How tacky he is. He just won't stay in the grave. He just keeps coming and coming and coming. And I, I can imagine also that some of the disciples said, okay, well, look, that was a nightmare, but now we are behind this locked door. Okay. And then here he comes slipping through the locked door again, right? So then Jesus can't take a hint, apparently. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus just keeps coming and coming and coming. And that ends up being the good news. Even when we lock ourselves away, even when we are, uh, have resolved ourselves to a small, brittle, sad life, here's Jesus knocking on the door. That's the good news. So even to those of us who wittingly or unwittingly have developed Jesus but not Jesus clubs, Jesus refuses to be locked out. Even when you know we convene worship in places and we you know ostensibly are under His name but really bear a lot, a very little resemblance to Him, there is Jesus. And so the good news I hope people are hearing the full throated good news is is that God is good. God is better than our than our uh, you know God is more powerful than our. Uh, uh, propensity to hide. It takes you back to Genesis, doesn't it? Now here's Adam and Eve hiding. And so, I mean, if I'm God, aren't you tired for God? God must be like, dear God, God, God must be like, dear me, you know, <laughs> these people just keep messing up and then hiding and messing up and hiding. And I keep walking through the gardens, looking for them, looking for them, looking for them. And you got to pause a minute and say, wow, what kind of God do we have? who just will not let us hide in these little sad cul-de-sacs. Man. All right. So I have to tell you that the, uh, the goosebumps that I got, this is my favorite sentence of the whole thing, right? Okay. You say a faith that elevates the creator and subordinates geography, politics, race, and class, the well-being of the human family. And, and before that you talk about, um, this undeserved gift of Jesus with a resolute faith born of deep gratitude. Yeah. And I'm wondering how, if we are able to approach life with a sense of gratitude rather than even expectation. Cause I feel, I feel like we have the right to expect because Jesus does show up all the time. God finds us. And I expect that much like in the former episode we had, uh, I expect that, because the morning comes every day, right? So I, I don't know. I just, I'm wondering if you can say more about that deep gratitude. Well, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I think that, that it's gratitude that breaks a lot of the strangleholds that are on us, right? I mean, I, I think if you, I mean, it, it will sound trite to some, but, but, slowing the heart down, slowing the mind down, slowing the spirit down enough to be able to give thanks for the breath you have, for the portion of health you have today, for, you know, for whatever it is you have today, I think it, it, it begins to well up. Those become deposits, if you will, in my spiritual bank account. And, and it's, it's gratitude that changes us. I mean, if you can, if, if us personally, if you can stop a minute and think about a, an overwhelming gift that you got, and that that just that, that that sort of just nailed you against the wall with 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 gratitude, with thankfulness, with with um, feeling honored and appreciated. What did that do to you? 
I mean, it, it changes. It can actually change your footsteps, um, you know, the direction of your footsteps. And, and, and this seems to be God's approach, which is, you know, this is why we call grace, you know, undeserved, unmerited favor, right? There's nothing you did to get it, right? God's love. And there's nothing you can do to lose it. You know, you just, <laughs> you are, you just enveloped in it. And if it, when that begins to penetrate us, then that begins to be, you know, the rocket fuel that drives us uh, into what I would call more pleasing ways to God. So if if I realize that I'm honored, blessed, favored, then it becomes, you know, a little bit more difficult for me to hate you. Some somehow, you know, my my synapses get rewired. Some somehow the chemistry changes a little bit. Somehow the wounds that I bear. Some, somehow they get a little bit more refined. They a little bit more healing begins to happen. And so, yeah, gratitude. I mean, this is, I think, the reason why, you know, the Apostle Paul keeps telling us in every letter he writes about that moment when he was so wrong. He was what my mother would call loud and wrong about everything. And yet God decided through God's grace to use him. Mm. And, and he just, he, he writes about it again and again, not because I think he's a broken record, but because I think he can't get his head around it. That, wow. Like, wow, me? I mean, God, are you really seeing me? I mean, you know the thoughts of my heart. Are you really seeing me? And God is like, yeah, I know exactly who you are. And I love you and you belong to me and I belong to you. So yeah, I think gratitude is the way in, Right. Um, I think some of the deeply, most deeply spiritual people I know really don't have a lot. They don't have a lot of stuff, but they, what they have is, is this deep sense, abiding sense of gratitude for life. And then they're wealthy in that regard. And then I know people who have 10,000 square feet and you know a limitless checking account. And they're miserable. Miserable. And so, yeah, I think gratitude is the, is the way in which a lot of chains can be broken uh, off our spirit. That's great. Bishop, thank you so much for this time. And listeners, we're grateful for you for listening to Four People. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next week.